Welcome to BIPAC News on the Jewish TV channel. My name is Naya Lecht. I'm the education analyst. And we have with us today a very special guest. And as always with our esteemed thought leaders, we ask our guests to provide a short bio. And when I asked David Harris to send me his, he simply wrote, quote, join the Jewish world as a frontline activist in 1975, never left. And while he insisted for brevity, I would like to give our viewers and listeners today a really a proper, much deserved biography for Mr. David Harris. David Harris is a lifelong Jewish activist who led the American Jewish Committee, the AJC, from 1990 to 2022. He was referred to by the late Israeli uh, pre uh, President Shimon Peres as the foreign minister of the Jewish people. And, you know, I could continue to list many of David's many accolades, but I would like to pause and highlight something very special to me and my family, and that is that David was at the forefront of the Soviet Jewry movement here in the United States. I come from the former Soviet Union. I came here as a child, and it really wasn't until I was in college that I learned just how active American Jews were in advocating for Soviet Jewry. So I personally wanna take this time to thank you, David, for coming and speaking with me today, but also really for everything you have done, for what you continue to do for the Jewish people. I also recently met David at Oxford University, an alma mater of his, this summer through ISGAP, where you serve as Vice Chair of Global Affairs. So I'm very honored that you have joined this interview today. I'd like to begin by asking kind of a the obvious question, but less maybe perhaps deep. And that is, it's been, it's something that's on our minds as Jews in the diaspora. It's been over a month since October 7th, the deadliest attack against the Jewish people since the Holocaust. How are you doing? How are you doing? Naya, thank you for having me on. And, uh... It's especially gratifying to me when I meet people who came from the Soviet Union and are now such an integral part of the Jewish world, whether here in the United States, in your case, or in Israel or elsewhere. Um, there's a st strong sense of satisfaction in all of that. Uh, the story of October 7th and its aftermath is, is not my story alone. I think I'm no different than so many other viewers um, in, in what we've been through. Um, but I think most important is not to describe my personal journey since October the 7th, but rather how, how I've approached life since October the 7th. And that is that uh, I believe, and frankly believed long before October the 7th, though it highlighted it, that we are uh, facing three fronts. Uh, the first front is the Israeli military security front, obviously. Uh, and as you and I speak, the IDF and, uh, and Israeli security services more generally are in Gaza, encircling Gaza, uh, on the north facing Hezbollah and defending the nation and God bless them. The second front is the Israeli home front because as was clear on October 7th and even before, the targets of Israel's enemies of these genocidal terrorists um, are as much uh, Israeli civilians, if not more, than the um, Israeli soldiers. Uh, and there is a question of Israeli resilience and Israeli unity, which we've seen, and God bless them as well. But there's a third front, and neither the Israeli home front nor military front can address that, and that is the United States of America. 
And it's very clear. It's been clear for a long time, but boy, since October 7th, even more so, that uh, Israel's enemies are growing more brazen. And their ultimate goal is to drive a wedge between Washington and Jerusalem. And believing that if they do, all bets are off. Because Israel's essential partner and friend in the world, more than any other nation on earth, is the United States. And we've seen in the display by Joe Biden, and I say this as a nonpartisan, uh, this extraordinary depth of feeling and commitment to Israel. Uh, it's the hope of our enemies here in the United States that that will not repeat itself. So the third front is the front that 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 I operate on, that you operate on, Naya. I hope many of your viewers do. And that is to understand the stakes involved in preserving this unique relationship between the United States and Israel in the interests of both nations and not allowing our adversaries um, to create distance or a gap between us. Okay, thank you so much for that. Speaking of this American front, and I, I agree with you, I believe uh, that in, in my view, there are two really imminent wars, and that is the existential war in Israel and the narrative war here. Something that shocked me, and maybe it shouldn't have shocked me, was that after October 7th, I, I believe that in the first week, the world, the Western world really rallied against the Jews. And there's been such a betrayal and turn against the Jewish people, against the state of Israel. How do you, how do you explain that? How do you explain that we have such virulent, vehement manifestation of support for a genocidal regime such as Hamas on college, on American college campuses right after, how do you explain that turn? I'm just, I'm sure many of our viewers today too are, are wondering how did, how, how could this be? Naya, I, I, you know, I've spent a lifetime asking myself this question because the treatment of Israel, the treatment of Jews has always been different. Uh, different standards have been applied. And I've tried very hard to avoid the obvious conclusion, but no longer. The obvious conclusion, I believe, is the right and, in fact, the only conclusion and explanation. And when you strip all of the scholarly expert analysis away, it comes down to one single word, anti-Semitism. That's the answer. Wow. That's the answer. I, I Again, I, I, I was reluctant for years to to accept it, to acknowledge it. But I don't think there's any other explanation uh, that, 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 that is in any way remotely persuasive or convincing uh, that we see uh, in, in what, what should have been such a clear-cut morality tale. I, so mean, I mean, Hamas, uh, this is not uh, David Harris saying it. The United States government under President Bill Clinton declared Hamas a foreign terrorist organization. Yes. The European Union followed suit. The United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, and others followed suit. So the nature of the enemy should have been clear. If it wasn't, though, Hamas has made it simple for everyone. It has a charter. That charter is available in multiple languages. And it says very explicitly, its goal is the annihilation of the state of Israel, and its goal is to find every Jew hiding behind every rock and every tree. 
in their interpretation of Islam. So it's all abundantly, abundantly clear and on display, Naya. And what happened on October the 7th, the, the horrific nature, the bestiality, the brutality, the genocidal intent was also so obvious. So this should have been clear cut. It doesn't mean that everyone has to agree with every Israeli government or every approach to, to the peace process. But but this is not about that. Not this was about this was about basically two threshold questions um, that we asked the world. Number one, um, do you do you uh, uh, do you uh, approve of Hamas or disapprove of Hamas? And number two, do you approve or disapprove of the premeditated, deliberate, intentional targeting? murdering, mutilating, beheading, kidnapping of, 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 of people from the stage of fetus, fetus, through infant, through toddler, through the elderly, including Holocaust survivors. If you cannot answer both questions clearly, clearly and unconditionally, then there is nothing else to talk about. And as far as I'm concerned, if you can endorse Hamas, can embrace uh, its methodology, then you are a Jew hater, you are an anti-Semite, and there's no two ways about it. I think sometimes, as you say, we prefer to look for the complexities, we prefer to look for the scholarship, and it's in, in many ways, it's so refreshing, the simplicity, but at the same time, what do we do? And, and, and moreover, how do we have Jews who've embraced the pro-Hamas movement who are standing with signs, I'm a Jew and I support freeing Palestine. What, what have we done wrong? I mean, I'm in the space of Jewish education. I get this question asked a lot, but I'm curious, you have this you know, wide history of, of being in the space with American Jews. What, why, why are American Jews, young Jews standing in support of Hamas? So I think first of all, uh, and forgive my 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 cynicism and skepticism, Naya, but not everyone who holds up a sign and says I am a Jew, or who goes on social media and says as a Jew, is necessarily a Jew. I'm not going to I'm not going to do background checks, but I don't take it at face value. Uh, and an organization like Jewish Voices for Peace, which is so far over on the other side raises profound questions about are they actually Jewish? Where is their money coming from, et cetera, et cetera. That's number one. Okay. Uh, and number two, the fact of the matter is throughout Jewish history, including, by the way, in uh, <laughs> the nation in which you were born, we have had in every generation a few Jews, a few Jews who have taken the other side. Uh, I remember vividly, this was long before you were born, the Soviet Anti-Zionist Committee, which was um, which was populated by a few Jews who were props of the Soviet government, who who, who led the effort uh, to deny the Jewish people the right to exist, and who were uh, desecrating and defaming uh, the Jewish people. Go back earlier to people like Rosa Luxemburg, uh, famous sort of communist revolutionaries. So wherever you look, you'll see a few people. But and it's a big but, Naya. We shouldn't confuse the few with the many. Uh, 
the, the revelation of, of, of where Jews um, stand, I think, was, was shown on November the 14th, the rally in Washington. And I know something about organizing rallies. Uh, this had was done in 10 days or less. It was a mammoth task. And close to 300,000 people uh, dropped everything at a moment's notice, traveled from across the country in order to be there. My guess is that had there been a few more weeks to organize, the number would have been double. So even as we despair about those few people holding signs, whether they are or are not genuinely Jewish, I, I want to look at the great mass of Jews who have woken up, who have mobilized, who have marched, uh, who've shown courage, who've shown determination, and by the way, who need you, Naya, Jewish educators more than ever, because very often now their determination is far ahead of their actual understanding of issues or their ability to respond to issues. So people like you, who, who merge advocacy and education, I think become critically important to young people who want to help, who want to respond, but who aren't yet sure what the best ways are. So maybe we should flip this and I should interview you. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Um, speaking of the rallies, I actually had a question. I want to discuss the Washington rally. I too felt such um, a rays of hope emanating from watching our people come together, you know, putting all egos, personal agendas aside, and they just came together united. And I thought, I said to myself, you know, Hashem, this is who we are. This is the Jewish people. Please see us this way. This is who we are. You know, um, at the same time, I'm curious because I have a slightly, maybe because of my Russian background, I have a slightly cynical and dark view or pessimistic rather of this. Of My question is, do you think many people are comparing that rally to the Soviet Jewry movement? Do you see parallels? Well, first of all, I have to say, Naya, you as a, a former Soviet Jew have no right to be pessimistic or dispirited. And the reason I say that is because I believe that the, the modern story of, of Soviet Jewry, uh, the exodus from the Soviet Union, the modern day exodus, the triumph, if you will, of this movement is a, is, is a metaphor for, um, uh, for the victory of Jewish hope over despair. Because anyone, and, and, and frankly speaking, uh, this story, your story, your family's story, the story of millions of Jews in the Soviet Union is not being taught in the Jewish world as it should be, neither in the day schools, nor the after schools, nor the synagogues. This is an extraordinary story of inspiration. And I, I know I'm taking us off subject for a moment, but I think it's important because your viewers need to understand, especially the younger viewers, that when this movement began in the late 1960s, it was inconceivable that a small group of Jews it, behind the Iron Curtain would challenge the most powerful totalitarian nation on earth and say to that Kremlin, the symbol, Atpusti narod moi, let my people go, with any chance, any chance of success, to the contrary, of every chance of ending up in the Soviet gulag, of ending up unemployed, of ending up socially isolated um, and, and, and at risk. So 
I think whether it's Soviet Jews or us generally, we have no right to despair because we've shown ourselves that when we when we when we organize, when we're determined, when we believe, uh, we can move mountains. So was there a difference between 1987 and 2023? Well, yes and no. Uh, there was a single organizing principle for 1987. And that was, again, let my people go. That was it. And it was therefore easy to bring people together around that central message. Until October 7th, Naya, I'm not sure we could have done anything comparable regarding Israel, uh, much as I wish it were otherwise. But after October 7th, again, the message became very simple. It was no longer a referendum on judicial reform or whether you like this or that political party in Israel. Or whether you felt, right, whether you felt there was enough being done toward a two-state solution or not. There was one central message. We stand with Israel. We stand with Israel in, um, in its defense. We stand with Israel in seeking the release of the hostages. And we stand um, together in the face of mounting anti-Semitism. Very simple, very interconnected messages that could bring together a wide spectrum of Jews who otherwise, Naya, I'm not sure, could agree on the day of the week or the time of the day. But <laughs> there they came uh, and bless them all from right to left, from religious to secular, from Beautiful. local to national. It, 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 so in that sense, it wasn't that different from 1987 after all. See, listening to you, I'm much more optimistic now. Um, I, the reason you're I, mandated to be optimistic. I am. You're right. You're right. You're right. The only reason I had um, maybe suggested a slight pessimism is I think it was so it is so simple to rally against uh, persecuted people. And unfortunately, uh, the last 20 years of the anti-Zionist campaign has cast Israel as the uh, oppressor. And people, people just they want to rally around the underdog, and so it's it. But you're right in the sense, and you know, my husband and I, we were we were discussing to for whom was this rally? Who to what was the message? Who was supposed to hear the message? Which is a, an interesting question itself, and the fact that it was in front of the White House. To your point earlier that you made, I think it was a strong message to America that we American values, Israel, you know, support of Israel, American interests. American interests and Jewish interests. This is a Judeo-Christian country. My mother often says America is not just a country, it is an idea. Um, as always, mothers are right, and certainly your mother is right. And, and there was something else as well, Nye, in addition to everything you said about the messaging to the White House and the nation as a whole, I think it was a message to ourselves that we are we are much bigger, we are much stronger, we are a much more determined than many may have thought, number one. And number two, contrast this rally with the pro-Hamas rally in Washington, both before and the one shortly after at the Democratic National Committee. And as many of us noted, including on social media, uh, the, the pro-Israel rally had no masks, no hidden faces, 
no threats, no intimidation, no mobs, no violence, uh, no, no burning of American flags, no burning of American flags, uh, no fierce in your face rhetoric. I mean, we have every right to be angry, every right to be angry. Uh, we witnessed an attempted genocide. We have toddlers and we have elderly being held um, hostage. We have families destroyed. We have every reason to be angry and to shout and to scream. And yet I think uh, reflecting Jewish values, core Jewish values, the way this rally was conducted, the way people uh, conducted themselves was, 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 was admirable and was in stark contrast to attacking the White House, which happened before our rally, or attacking the Democratic National Committee, requiring police intervention, requiring scuffles and arrests. What a difference. This rally reflected a love of America, an appreciation of the gift of being in this country. And I hope it wasn't lost on any American of any yes. background or faith. Absolutely. I thank you so much. That is such a wonderful message. And we are coming at the uh, to our concluding. I'm just warming up. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, uh, these are short segment interviews, and we're so I'm so grateful for your time. Um, I'm so grateful for your analysis, especially uh, in regards to how you formulated the three fronts and how important it is for the Jewish people to remember that American interests and Israeli interests really um, are, are similar. And we must, we must remain bipartisan and we must remain strong. America, I mean, I came to this country, I have a love affair with America. Yes, my ethnic homeland is Israel. I am a Jew from Israel, like all Jewish people. But this country is, 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 is a blessing. And I think most Jewish people understand that as the rallies, you know, you see in the rally, the, <clears throat> the sea of blue and white, but interspersed are the reds and whites and blues. Right. Totally, totally. So I, I, before we end, I want your viewers to remember that the support of the president of the United States. And again, I say this is a nonpartisan, but as an appreciative American, the fact that the president of the United States traveled to Israel, the fact that the president of the United States ordered aircraft carriers to be deployed off of the coast, resupplied weapons. Uh, to Israel, instructed our ambassador to the United Nations to prevent any resolution injurious to Israel from being adopted. The image of four leaders of the House and Senate, Republicans and Democrats, uh, linking arms in front of 300,000 people to show their support for Israel. Never, never, never take that for granted. That's what we're fighting to maintain. That's the core agenda of the third front. And if you, the viewers, and Naya and I are not going to be on that third front. Who's going to be there for us? And with that, uh, I'm going to exercise my Russian skills and tell you огромное спасибо. Big thank you. Which means a big thank you. My uh, удовольствие. Which means my pleasure. Right. And um, what you continue to be uh, this a warrior. I don't want to just call you an activist. I'm going to call you a warrior. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your positivity. Uh, for Jewish TV channel and BIPAC News, I am Nihilect. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Um.